All right, let's try this. I'm excited to be here. How about you? All right, yeah. Well, we're kicking off this new series, like I said, called Exponential. We're calling this our four-week journey to Easter, a four-week journey to Easter. And I want to invite all of you to join with us on this four-week journey. Maybe that's journeying with us here uh, in person at Rice Lake Elementary. Maybe those who are going to watch the video later or listen to the podcast online. But I want to encourage you to join with us in these next four weeks as we journey towards Easter. And I believe God wants to do something extraordinary through us this Easter. This is an opportunity for us to be a movement that multiplies. See, there are hurting people in our community who need to meet the powerful name of Jesus. Amen? This, there are hurting people that need to experience the love and grace and forgiveness that so many of us have experienced. And so one of the things that we are going to do is we are actually doing our very first Easter egg hunt on Easter. For the longest time, I was like, ah, I don't like Easter egg hunts. It's candy. It's just chaos. It's, it's craziness. Maybe you've been there. You're like, maybe you tried an Easter egg hunt with your kids and you're like, oh, never again. So why are we doing an Easter egg hunt for our first time as a church? Well, parents will do crazy things for their kids. Amen? Have you noticed that? And kids love candy. And what we have found is that some of my friends' churches, that doing an Easter egg hunt is a great opportunity to help get people back into church on Easter. So we are going to do this Easter egg hunt. We're going to do 5,000 eggs. We're going we're to promote it to the community because we want to invite them to come visit Mosaic so that they can hear the message of that powerful name of Jesus. We're going to tell them, hey, you've got, you got to come to the service and then you're going to have an Easter egg hunt. We want to bless you. But we believe this is an opportunity for us to make a difference in our community. And we're actually, for that weekend, instead of holding our services here, we're going to meet at Osseo High School, just down the road, about six minutes from here. We're going to do Good Friday there, stay set up, and then Easter services on Sunday morning, and then the Easter egg hunt there. And I believe God wants to do something really special in our Easter services uh, uh, that weekend. And I'd love to have you pray with me that people who are feeling lost, who are feeling broken, that Sunday will, will experience the healing that's only found through Jesus. That people who are looking for community will, will feel like Mosaic's a place where they could come in with their questions. They could meet some people who love them for who they are. They don't have to put a mask on. For those of us who found close friendships and purpose and meaning, we don't want to just keep that to ourselves. We want to invite others into what we have found. And we're going to need all hands on deck for this. And so we're going to be asking you, hey, would you help us to make Easter the best possible experience that can happen so that the most people possible can experience that powerful name of Jesus? So we're going to take this four-week journey together, culminating in Good Friday and Easter. And I'm just excited to see what God is going to do through us. Uh, so let's dive into week one of our exponential four-week journey towards Easter. Uh, well, I've kind of always been a big reader. I used to keep like a Michael Crichton book or something in my desk in high school whenever I got done my homework or tests so I could read. And I, I love reading. You know, they, they say leaders are readers. And so I've always felt like, man, I want to keep reading. I want to learn and I want to grow. And I, I love physical books that can tangibly hold. I love e-books I can read on my iPad, on my iPhone, and I love Audible and listening to audiobooks through there. I just love reading and, and growing and acquiring knowledge. 
One of the books I've been reading the last couple of months is a book called Shoe Dog by Phil Knight. Phil is the co-founder of Nike, the, the sporting goods company, the, the shoe company. And it's actually a pretty fascinating read about what a few scrappy dreamers can do when they believe in their product and when they believe they have the capacity to change the world. And I think Nike has one of the greatest slogans of all time. Just do it. Just do it. I think that word just is what makes it really powerful. Is that, you know, Nike is saying, let go of your excuses. No one cares if it's raining outside. No one cares if you're sore. Just take those running shoes, lace them up and get outside, hit the pavement. Just do it. See, Nike knows that there is greatness inside of you. And they believe in you. And they say, just do it. Researchers have studied what makes for a better life. Do you know what they've discovered? That universally, they've discovered this one common thing that helps people have a better life. Researchers have discovered that a bias towards action leads to a better life. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. We want to help you have a life of transformation, so we give you an opportunity to take notes. And then hopefully in your small group, you gather them together with people in a circle, just say, hey, how, how am I going to apply this to my life? But researchers have discovered that a bias towards action leads towards a better life. But why is it that if we know that to take that first step of courage, to lace on those shoes, to go hit the pavement, even when we're tired, when we're sore, when the weather isn't the best, why is it so hard to take that first step? Maybe it's not running. Maybe it's Reconciling a relationship. Maybe it's you've been out of work and to send that first resume. Maybe it's to start eating more healthy. But why is that first step so hard? See, anytime you start something new, attempt something hard, or try to break away from the pack and reach for greatness, it comes down to that moment of action, that first step. Just do it. Have you ever tried, decided to do something new? Maybe you wanted to start a new exercise program or wake up earlier in the morning so you could be more productive, but then you just couldn't do it. Maybe you decided, hey, I'm going to be more kind. I'm going to be more compassionate in how I talk to my spouse or my coworkers or my kids. But when it came time to move towards that person and to initiate reconciliation, you just stopped yourself. You just couldn't do it. I think we've all done that. We've all been there. See, whenever we're faced with that tough decision to do that hard thing, there's these little voices inside our head that start talking to us. And those little voices in all our heads are like, just, just wait. Have you thought through this? Have, have you thought through all the things that could happen? They tell us to be cautious. They tell us all the reasons why we shouldn't take that step of faith. There are a thousand reasons to play it safe, not risk. I'm a big Pixar fan. My kids love it too. How many of you have seen the movie Ratatouille? Yeah, I love that movie. He's trying to explain, and he's like, there's a tiny chef in my head. You know, remember that part? Like, we all have that tiny chef in our head. Maybe it's not a rat, but that little voice that, that, it's, that when we try to dare greatly, when we do something to get out of our comfort zones, it says, hey, it's dangerous out there. Hey, if you start exercising, it's going to be hard. You might get hurt. If you start that new business, you know, you, you, we might lose all our money. If I approach that person and start a conversation, they might reject me. They might say something really hurtful to me. 
And those little voices inside all our heads say, you don't know what might happen if you do that. It's safer to stay here in your comfort zone. And all too often, those voices inside are too convincing, and we listen. And you know, it's true to a degree that when we stay in the safety of our comfort zone, we don't risk, we don't get hurt. We avoid the pain, the uncertainty, the risk. It's safe in our comfort zone. But we need to get out of our comfort zones if we're going to grow, if we're going to improve, if we're going to live the lives that God has for us. All good things start with risk and uncertainty. But resisting those voices is so hard. They're trying to protect us, just like they protected our ancestors thousands of years ago. It's not just the voices. It's our feelings are intense, too. When, we're start, when we decide to start something new, like we feel the fear. Physically, our, our hormones spike. Adrenaline surges. We feel short of breath. Our heart races. We might feel our muscles tense up. And that kind of physiological response was good when we might encounter like a saber-toothed tiger outside, right? But nowadays, you and I are very, you know, there's not a big chance that we're going to face some kind of tiger when we, we take that step of faith. Now, though, it's more likely to hold us back. We let the fear take hold. We get stuck. We dream of doing greater things, but we hang on to what we have, like just grabbing onto a raft in the middle of the ocean. But there's a way out of this. There's a way out of feeling stuck, of wanting to take that bold step of faith. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Is how do we take that step of faith to go where God wants us to go? Well, we've been studying the book of Acts for a few months now. We've kind of broken it up into bite-sized chunks. And Beth, last week, man, if you missed it, she did an awesome job. How many of you guys thought Beth did a, just an amazing job last week teaching? Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, Beth. Hopefully she'll listen to this podcast later. I'll ask her if she did. And she's back in elementary right now. But yeah, we'll tell her that, that we, we clapped for her and, and she did a great job. But we're going to pick up right where she left off on Acts chapter 9, verse 19. So just a quick review. We've been in the book of Acts for a while. Acts is part two of a two-part volume that our author, Dr. Luke, wrote. Dr. Luke was the personal physician and traveling companion of the church planter Saul, also known as Paul. And Dr. Luke carefully investigated all the stories about Jesus just a couple decades after he died to say, is this really true? This doctor went around and said, did you see the spear go in his side? Did you see him breathe his last breath on the cross? People said, yes, I saw that. And, and you really saw him walking around alive again? Yes. So he investigated all these stories and interviewed the people who were there as eyewitnesses of Jesus. And then the early church. So, so you saw these flames of fire descend on the early church. Yeah, whoa, what was that like? Well, I don't know how to describe it. It was, it was like a rushing wind, and he wrote that down. And then we'll see in the book of Acts, I love it, Luke starts to say, instead of talking about them, he'll say, and then we went here. And that's when Dr. Luke joins the story. So Dr. Luke wrote all this down about the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. And, and so in part one is the gospel of Luke, his story of Jesus. And part two is how the Holy Spirit empowered the early church to be an exponential disciple-making movement. And chapter nine, as we've been going through his story, Dr. Luke is going to focus on Saul, this man who was killing women and children and putting them in prison and persecuting the early church. And this immediate reversal from persecutor of Christians to preacher 
of the risen Christ to Jewish people. And the the first main point that Dr. Luke is going to make is that Saul has been converted for a mission. That Jesus, when he met Saul on the road, when he literally knocked Saul off his high horse, when he blinded him but then healed his eyes, it wasn't just so that Saul could know Jesus, so that Saul could go to heaven when he died. But Jesus converted Saul and said, I have a mission for you. One of our core values here at Mosaic is that saved people serve people. That saved people serve people. That we have not been saved by Jesus simply to just try to hang on until we get to heaven. That we have a mission. We are here for a purpose, to be a force of good in the world. Amen? We've been marked for a mission. That when we meet Jesus, when we choose to follow him, we get drafted into his service. That we have a mission. And that mission is to be part of an exponential, multiplying movement of disciple makers that started 2,000 years ago with Peter and Stephen and Philip and then Saul. And that goes down through history to us today. We're part of this movement of people who are introducing people to Jesus and saying, hey, we are here to be a force for good, that you can find hope and forgiveness. You can experience grace. Well, let's dive into our text, Acts 9, verse 19. If you have your Bibles, you can read along with me. Uh, You can follow on your smartphone. Uh, Otherwise, the scripture will also be here behind me. So Saul has been knocked off his high horse, blinded. He was led to a man's house. And then God spoke to him and led Ananias to the home that Saul's in. And then he laid hands on him and Saul was healed. His eyes were opened. That's where we left off last week. Well, for some days, he was with the disciples, the followers of Jesus at Damascus. And immediately, everyone say immediately. Immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, it's actually about three years, we find out in Galatians, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by sight and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So Saul meets Jesus and then starts his mission for Jesus. He goes from persecutor to preacher. He's been drafted into this exponential movement, a a mission of making disciples. Well, three things I want us to look at of the mission of Saul and how that relates to us today. Number one, Saul's mission was Christ-centered. It was Christ-centered. See, the story of the Jewish people is that 
This, they were a people that were in bondage and slavery in Egypt for 400 years. And then God, in his sovereignty, in his love, he brings them out of slavery. He brings them out of bondage and says, you are my people. You will serve no other gods now. And all the plagues against Egypt, if you've seen the movie like the Prince of Egypt, those are all one by one taking out the different Egyptian gods. And God says, no longer will you serve these other gods or, or bow down to anyone else. You will serve me and me only. Well, the story of the Jewish people is that again and again and again throughout the Old Testament, the people of God would serve God only, but then they'd start to mix in some stuff and be like, well, you know what? If one God is good, then many gods has to be better. And so they would bring in some fertility God stuff and, and, and other gods, and then God would have to discipline them. So they would turn back to the one true God. And again and again, God's people would leave serving the one true God to worship other things. And so Saul has been raised in this tradition. He is a Pharisee. That means he, he has studied, he has served, he's been to seminary, and he is a faithful servant of the one true God. And all of a sudden, a bunch of Jewish people are now starting to mix in this worship of God with this this man, this carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus. And so Saul says, this is not good. God's going to come discipline us because these people are worshiping this man, Jesus. We all know that a man cannot be God. And so he's killing them. He's persecuting them because he thinks he's doing the Lord's work. And instead, Jesus meets him and says, Saul, you've actually been fighting against me. And Saul has this massive reversal from someone who thought he was doing God's work to realizing, man, I, I was blind, but now I see. And the Bible says immediately he goes preaching that Jesus is God, that Jesus is this long-awaited Messiah. It's an amazing reversal. And from then on out, all of Saul's life, his ministry, his mission was Christ-focused. Here at Mosaic, we want to be all about Jesus. We are such fans of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. We want everything to be about Jesus. And we want to tell you that if you're here today, you're newer, man, you don't have to believe everything that we believe about Jesus to belong here. We're just glad that you're here. And we hope that this is a safe place where you can ask your questions, you can doubt. But ultimately, man, we want you to believe the same way that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But if you're still wrestling with that, man, we're just glad that you're here. We want you to be blessed. We hope that this place can be a blessing to you. And those of us who believe in Jesus, that he's our king, that he is God, that we've chosen to follow him, we've been drafted into the service of the king to be bringers of blessing and to help people find belonging through community here in our church. And we want at Mosaic to be all about Jesus. We want to be Christ-centered in everything that we do. We want our ministries and our mission to be Christ-centered. That when we share our stories, our testimonies, Jesus needs to be the main character. To realize that each one of us, we're just supporting characters in Jesus' story. That when we preach, that when we teach, when we share our testimonies, when we talk in small groups, we don't want our personal experiences to dominate, but simply to illustrate. That it's the story of Jesus. We need to be all about Jesus. Here on Sunday mornings, man, we want you to be inspired by great worship. We want to give you some practical teaching that's going to help you grow. But ultimately, we want the focus to be on Jesus. Our main focus as a church 
is to make much of Jesus. We should be Christ-centered in all we do. Amen? That's number one. Saul's mission was Christ-centered. Number two, it was courageous. He had to be courageous. Twice, Dr. Luke tells us about Saul's boldness, first in Damascus and then in Jerusalem. How do we grow in courage so we can do what God called us to do? Maybe God has been stirring up something in your heart to take that step of reconciliation, to start a new ministry, to reach out to a neighbor, to start you know, being more intentional in your parenting or to pursue your spouse. Maybe there's something and, and you need that courage. How do we grow in that? Well, back in January, we did our Dangerous Prayer series and we talked about that. And, and we said that we need to ask, where is God sending us out? Who else is going to go to your circle of influence that God has already, already given to you? We, we start by praying, God, here am I, send me. And I love hearing stories of so many of you who have taken that step of courage to get out of your comfort zones. Dan and Tanya Pfeiffer are in our small group and we get to hear some of their great stories. And Tanya is always talking about how she stops lately and she's helping people out. And, and Dan has been sitting there listening to Tanya. And uh, I think Tanya's been an awesome influence on Dan, amen? And uh, as all good wives are. Well, a couple days ago, my dad actually was pulling a trailer on, on 94 and the trailer got away from him, unhitched and, and went across the freeway. Well, unbeknownst to Dan, as he was driving along, he saw this crazy trailer on the side of the road and he's like, man, this guy needs help. And there was a moment there where Dan could have said, you know what, I'm just going to keep driving. But he took that step of faith, that, that, that courage to sneak over, to drive over and hopped out of his car and end up being my father who attends here. And Dan was able to help him out and, and, and to, to get the trailer back and going. And it's just amazing what can happen when you take that step of faith, to take that step of courage, and you don't know how God's going to use you. I know for my family, for my mom, for me, like the fact that Dan stopped, that was so powerful. It was, it was just amazing that someone would, would, would take that step. That when we choose to get out of our comfort zones, when we have the courage to take that step of faith, it could be as little as paying for someone's Starbucks in line behind you. It could be, you know, talking to someone at work that you know who just went through a miscarriage or is struggling. We don't know how much that's going to bless someone, how much that's going to help them. See, God cares way more about your willingness than your ability. Your willingness to get out of your comfort zone, to step into that. See, you have coworkers who are struggling with their marriages. You have coworkers who are dying in their sins. You have neighbors who are secretly struggling with addiction and shame. Will we say, God, send me to my coworkers, send me to my neighbors, send me to my church. I'll hold babies. I'm going to hold doors. I'll start a small group. I'll invest in the next generation. I will help with the Easter egg hunt outreach. I'll do whatever it takes, God. Give me your courage to take that step of faith. And this isn't some kind of like, well, gosh, I guess I have to serve Jesus because he died for my sins. I guess I have to do this. this is, I get to do this. I get to serve him. I get to wake up with life and breath in my lungs. That when we wake up, we say, today is the day the Lord has made. He has given me gifts. He's put me in this moment in history so I can bring glory to him. 
He's going to bring people across my path so I can encourage them. I can point them to Jesus. He's going to introduce me to people that have real needs. And he's given me exactly what they need. If I just have the courage to release what God has given me, he can use me. Again, we talked about this more in January. How do we grow in that? Number one, that we experience the presence of God. We worship, we, 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 we pray, we immerse ourselves in his word. We're aware of our own sinfulness. We confess our sins. And then we have a willingness to go. We say, God, I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers, but I'm willing to go. Use me wherever they might send me. So Saul's mission was Christ-centered. It was courageous. And number three, it was costly. It was costly. Saul suffered just as Jesus warned him he would. Beth read this last week in 916. He says, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Saul, who becomes Paul, is going to have this amazing ministry. He's going to plant churches. He's going to write, you know, a third of the New Testament. But it's going to cost something. And already we see that people in Damascus are trying to kill him. He had to escape the city walls in a basket. I don't know about you, but I would be a basket case if that happened to me. You awake? There you go. Then in Jerusalem, some Hellenists, some Greeks tried to kill him again. And over the course of Saul's life, his mission is going to be immensely costly. It's going to cost him his health. It's going to cost him friendships with ministry partners. It costs him his safety, his security. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be shipwrecked and ultimately killed for Jesus. And you ask him, is it all worth it, Paul? He would say, yes. In Philippians 3, he says, but whatever gain I had before I met Jesus, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul says it's worth it. I give it all for him, for his greatness. So Saul had this great ministry. It was Christ-centered. It was courageous, but it was costly. But you know what? He almost didn't have any ministry. Let's go back to 19, because this is so easy to miss. It said, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. He walked in that gymnasium, and he wanted to come in and worship But they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe he was a disciple. He was an outsider. They were scared of him. He was different. Maybe that's been your story. Maybe you walked into a church one time and people were afraid. They looked at you sideways. You weren't dressed the right way. You didn't act the right way. And so maybe something burned you out. Man, there's so many people in this room I know that was your story. You were hurt by church. You were hurt by pastors, by people that were supposed to shepherd you. They took advantage of you. And Saul, he attempted to join the disciples. How different would that have looked if they had just shut him out, if they were just afraid of him? But Barnabas, everyone say, but Barnabas, but Barnabas, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. But Barnabas. We first meet Barney back in chapter 4. He was incredibly generous, and he helped fund the ministry of the early church by he sold his cabin up north, he sold his ice fishing house and his boat and all that stuff, and he laid the money at the apostles' feet. 
And they use that to advance the, the mission of making more and more disciples. Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. He had the spiritual gifts of generosity and encouragement. Without Barnabas, who knows what Saul's ministry and mission would have looked like? But without Saul, Barnabas might never have stepped out of his comfort zone. And instead, he, he accompanied Saul traveling around the empire, planting churches, making disciples. They needed each other. That's the power of the partnership, that we need each other. Dr. Luke, who wrote this down, he accompanied Saul, Barnabas. He was their physician. He wrote things down. Saul needed a team. Barnabas needed a team. We can't do this on our own. So I want each of us to think, which one are you more? Are you more of a Barnabas? Maybe you have the gift of generosity, of encouragement, of, of helping, of, of finding those people who are trying to join the assembly and they feel like outsiders and, and, and you help bring them in. I know there's so many Barnabases in this room. And, and he brought Saul into the community. Or are you more of a Saul? Are you, are you a little bit more bold and courageous? Both took courage. Barnabas put it all on the line that this former killer of Christians had actually been saved. Just do it. See, when we have a bias towards action of taking that step of faith, something actually happens in our brain. Scientists say we awaken our prefrontal cortex. And when we choose to have action, we can actually use it for mind control. We can choose joy over anxiety. What is God calling you to do? Just do it. Get out of your comfort zone. Live a life of purpose and meaning. See, when we're going to start something new, we feel that fear. Our hormones spike. Again, that, that response was good when we were going to face saber two tigers. But now, when we dream of greater things, we have to just take that step of courage. Just do it. Even when we fail, action becomes a habit and our lives improve. A book I'm reading along with Shoe Dog is a book called The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins. It's a great book. I encourage uh, people to read it. And she talks about this as everyday courage, having a bias towards action, even when it's hard, scary, pays big dividends in your life. The question is, will you have a bias towards courage when the voices in your head won't stop yelling at you? Whenever you start to decide something new, she talks in his book about the five second rule, that when you take that step of faith that you can, before the negative cycle kicks in, you can have a countdown for action. She shares in her book how one day she wanted to improve her life. Her marriage was on the rocks. Her career was on the rocks. And she's up late at night eating food she shouldn't have been eating, having one too many drinks. And she saw this rocket ship getting ready to take off. And they counted down five, four, three, two, one, blast off. And that idea propelled this forward where when you're facing something scary, when you're going to do something that, that you're unsure, that when you, your mind starts spiraling towards anxiety or fear, you, if you count down backwards, it does something in your brain. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm going to hop out of bed. I'm going to open my Bible before I open my phone, before I open my email. I'm going to start exercising. I'm going to get my mind in a better place so I can be a better parent. 
That when the Holy Spirit is stirring me to speak to that person and, and I'm freaked out and before I start thinking about all that, I'm just gonna count down backwards. All right, five, four, three, two, one, go. I'm gonna walk over. I'm gonna do that scary thing. I wanna encourage you to think about that this week. What is that scary step? And before you start talking yourself out of it, to count down backwards, to take that step of faith. Because one simple act of courage could change your life. It could change someone else's life. As we allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you, just do it. And what happens? Acts 9.31. So the whole church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Saul, Barnabas, the early church, they, they stepped into action. They were Christ-centered. They were courageous. It cost them. But the result was they were multiplying. People were finding grace and forgiveness, hope and healing. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want. I'm going to invite the band to come up. We're going to sing this new song. Actually, Tanya's the one who introduced me to the song. It's called Raise a Hallelujah. I love this song. That wherever you are, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of chaos, in the midst of the storm, that we stand and we praise God. See, what we don't understand is that when we sing, when we point our attention towards God, when we pray to him, it isn't just lifting our voices, that something happens in the spiritual realm. That at the name of Jesus, the enemy flees. That at the name of Jesus, as we sing, as we raise hallelujah, praise to Jesus, that addictions are broken, that healing can be found. So I want to invite you to stand right now. Would you stand with us? As we sing this song, I want you to raise your hallelujah. Whatever is going on in your life, I want you to think that. I want you to, to take it. Maybe it's that divorce. It's that diagnosis from the doctor. It's that relational conflict. It's that financial insecurity. And you're going to raise it to God. You're going to give it to him. And when we sing, walls are broken down. When we sing, chains are broken. As we become in tuned to what God is doing. Not because of us, but because of what God is about. As we let the Holy Spirit flow through us, things happen, things change. And we believe that things don't have to stay the same, amen? That growth can happen. The reconciliation can happen. Financial freedom can be found. That healing can be found despite what the doctor says. So we're going to raise a hallelujah in this room. That though we are small, we are mighty. Amen. So we're going to sing the song in the middle of the storm, in the middle of uncertainty. A couple months ago, I talked about the power of song and how these Navy SEALs were in the middle of this mud and mire and grit. And they were ready to give up. And when one of them was getting ready to quit, they started singing together. And he got back in 
and he didn't quit. There's power in song. Maybe things are going okay for you, but you don't know what's going on in the rest of your row. And by singing, you can bring encouragement to the person next to you. So I want to encourage you, sing, sing loudly, sing boldly. If Navy SEALs can sing in the mud at the top of their lungs, we can do it too in a gymnasium. Let's sing, let's raise this hallelujah. I'm going to pray and we're going to, we're going to end service today just raising our hallelujah to him. God, I thank you that you are here. that in the midst of a storm, in the midst of uncertainty, we raise our hallelujahs to you. And God, we believe that change happens when we attune ourselves to you, when your Holy Spirit fills us with your presence. So God, right now, I believe that you will come in, you will change hearts, you will change minds, God, as, as we bow before you, as we lift our hands to you, as we raise our divorces, as we raise our debts, as we raise doctor's diagnosis to you, God, and we give them to you. We say, take it, God. We don't want to hold it anymore. We want to live in your peace, in your hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's